Hello, I'm Lucas Hayes. I'm a vegan and abolitionist from the United States. You can find me at www.rveganpregnancy.blogspot.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another fair to middling episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Episode 46, Oprah goes vegan, vegan, vegan-ish. She came, saw a fad diet, and was challenged. This episode, it's all about Oprah, the talk of the world. Like, oh my gosh, Oprah's going vegan. Again. Oh boy, imagine having Oprah as another one of those amazing celebrity vegans. I bet everyone will go vegan after watching 40 minutes of Oprah talking about veganism. Well, it didn't turn out quite that effective. I managed to smuggle in a copy of the episode. When it comes to such matters, don't ask, don't tell. I extracted the audio and listened at work. I did my usual trick of ripping out bits of paper with my teeth, power drill with wire brush attachment in one hand, fairly blunt pencil in the other. 1M33S Oprah says... Several times I was so surprised by what was said, I could have hurt myself with the tools being used. In particular, what the veganist, as she was dubbed, said, it was just incredible. The veganist. Sure wasn't Elizabeth Collins, no. We've got another Eric Marcus situation where the veganist, apparently the world's leading expert on veganism, who just happens to be peddling a book right now, nice how the stars align sometimes, right? And she appeared to be a follower of vegan.com. Near the end of the show, there were several times when Oprah was basically talked out of veganism, and by the veganist herself, too. We all know and love, well, I'm vegan until six at night, and who isn't proud to have a tattoo of vegan on their forehead? Well, hopefully you can still fit in the hip new term, veganish, on your face, too. But first, my bumper was from Lucas Hayes, Boy, if only there were some way he could introduce himself to us all. Hello, Jordan and everyone. My name is Lucas Hayes from Northern Virginia in the United States. I'm a vegan, abolitionist, and a proud member of the Invercargill Vegan Society. One of my favorite ways to promote veganism is through music. I've been making what could be considered hip-hop music for over a decade now. I produce my own instrumentals and I write my own lyrics. I've always written lyrics about various social justice issues, but when I went vegan over four years ago, I really wanted to use this talent primarily to raise awareness about veganism. My hope is that people who enjoy this type of music will be attracted to an ill beat, get their head bobbing, and absorb the message as they listen along. I like to leave mp3 discs at shows, restaurants, and all sorts of places. And if someone doesn't like it and wants to hear more of that misogynistic, homophobic, egotistical, quote-unquote, hip-hop, well, unfortunately, there's plenty of that shit out there, too. Anyways, Jordan, I love what you're doing with the podcast, and congratulations on forming the Invercargill Vegan Society. That's it for now. Oh, wait. If you see my old friend Tim Shadbolt, 
while you're walking down on, say, Esk Street, tell that nice person to give me a call. I'm worried sick about him. It's been ages. But I hear he's doing well. Okay, that's really it for now. Take care. Peace. Lucas heard my last episode, espousing the wonders of rap music. And what do you know? Lucas is a musician himself. So I respond with instant withdrawn participation from this pervasive systematic exploitation. Put theory into practice and principles into action. Striking the roots while most are hacking at the branches. Refuse to ratchet down my tactics or be passive and accommodate another's taste and palate. I seek abolition much more than less suffering and substance. It's about justice for other beings possessing minds used, abused, and kept confined. It's not charity. I stand in solidarity. It never varies. Aware that this violence is all unnecessary. Still, we participate and dare to say we care. Veganism is a philosophy and way of living based on the principle of non-exploitation. Vegans object to the exploitation of animals, human and non-human, for any reason, for any reason, and therefore seek to create a world in which humans meet all their needs in non-exploitive ways. I'm placing an emphasis on vegan education and never wasting my time on welfare regulations that legitimize the torture, enslavement, and slaying with fables of oppression, labeled humane. It's great for organizations with growing donor bases, but it's exploitation for future generations of non-human animals seen as living capital, being legal property and economic commodities. I rhyme to reach the mind in time, shift the paradigm away from sentient beings, being seen as things. Let's model a vision of the world we want to live in and when spreading the message be direct and consistent it isn't the very most it's what is owed the starting point to chart the course to theorize strategize lives are on the line so keep in mind no matter how much we try no use can be justified veganism is not so much welfare as liberation for non-humans and for the mind and heart of humans not so much an effort to make the present relationship bearable as an uncompromising recognition that because it is in the main one of master and slave, it has to be abolished before something better and finer can be built. Thank you so very much for recording a bumper, a special clip, and allowing me to use one of your songs, Lucas. I've linked to his site, www.rveganpregnancy.blogspot.com, in my show notes. And, if I ever see the Mayor of Invercargill, Tim Shadbolt, walking down Esk Street, I'll tell him to ring you, Lucas. Sure. Isn't it wonderful that vegans all around the world know the location of the Invercargill Vegan Society so well? It's not like they could see who our Mayor is on Wikipedia, or fire up Google Maps and grab a random street name. 
Here's the first clip I've made from the latest Oprah episode on veganism. Today, all new Oprah and 378 Harpo staffers go vegan for one week. No meat, no milk, no animal, anything. You lost 11 pounds. Then, Lisa Ling goes inside a beef processing plant. We are committed to doing it right. Whether you eat meat or not, you need to see it. And superstar expert Michael Pollan. How much meat do you think we should be eating? Vegan trailblazer Kathy Preston. This is worth thinking about. Next. Oh, it's been a big week here at Harpo Studios. For the show today, we turn the tables on all of ourselves, and there are a lot of us here, with a radical experiment, and it's caused quite a stir. Some of my staff say they've never felt better, and some of them are downright cranky. Uh, Our lunch lines have never been longer, literally, people coming out the doors for the lunch line, and the bathrooms have never been busier. (laughs) And everybody wants to talk about it. So what do we do? Take a look, take a look. Last week, we gave our Harpo staff the ultimate food challenge, go vegan for an entire week. That means no meat, no fish, no milk, no eggs or cheese, nothing that comes from an animal for seven full days. New York Times bestselling author Kathy Preston led that charge. She has sworn by a vegan lifestyle now for seven years. Kathy says eating a plant-based, whole food, kind diet can be a game changer in your life. Let me just start off right away with um, assuring you, you are not going to starve. You're going to have amazingly delicious food. To our surprise, 378 staffers signed up, some more eager than others. I'm not going to make it. I I don't really think I'm going to make it. I truthfully am not a conscious eater. Like, I don't think of the cow when I'm doing it. I'm an egg girl. I like to have my eggs every day, but uh, I'm going to try. To help Harpo ease into our new way of eating, Kashi and Whole Foods gave everyone a few bags of healthy vegan groceries. Even our Harpo Cafe added vegan entrees to the menu. Tacos, Thai, pizza, and burgers, all 100% animal-free. Uh, black bean with the multigrain. I usually eat a sausage muffin every day and a huge coffee with um, five creams and a little ice. So today I decided not to do that. I thought, okay, I'm going to start the day right. We're going to try this whole vegan thing. I think I could be vegan two or three days a week easily. It was a hit. The line was longer than ever. Some people waited 45 minutes just to get lunch. I'm going to try to do the whole week. I'm going to really try to do that as as hard as I can. That's not going to be easy. You put tater tots with anything and it's going to be good. I'm going to try and be a decent human being and not cuss out everyone who appeared on the show. Right from the beginning, veganism was represented as some sort of wonder diet, some kind of vegan cleanse, like the last time Oprah did an episode about veganism. It was some bizarre spiritual rebirth of your colon. Don't worry about the dead skin or hair you might wear. It had nothing to do with vivisection or shooting other animals. Veganism was portrayed as a diet. To one of the staff members in that last segment, uh... Vegans still drink coffee, you know. I guess it was portrayed as a radical, extreme diet, like the past cleanse, giving off ideas like vegans don't eat sugar or coffee, that we try and take the fun out of everything. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Oprah understands veganism as having a testament against buying more than one ply toilet paper. Oh, think of the starving children in... Quick, Jordan, think of a faraway country. America! Every time we buy soft toilet paper, an angel cries. Being vegan has nothing to do with avoiding socks and only hugging two people a year. Vegans avoid treating other animals as things, as ingredients. We do not wear, consume, or use other animals in any way. You can drink coffee and be vegan. And being vegan is not a challenge. Just ask the guy in the canary yellow shirt reading, It's easy to be vegan, with, If you think it's difficult, imagine how hard it is for the animals that you're not vegan, on the back. I believe you can find photos of him, with his fly down of course, at www.coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com Every bell movement needs a celebrity figurehead. And guess what? The let's think about what we eat movement has... So, we'll find out how our first ever vegan challenge turned out a little later. But first, Michael Pollan is back. He is a rock star in the food world. There's nobody who gets us think. Hi, rock star in the food world. <laughs> nobody gets us thinking more about what we eat. He's a best-selling author, and last year he was named one of the Time Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world because of the way you make us think about food and food rules. Hi. Hi. Good to Welcome be back. back. Yes. Yeah, so, what did you think of our vegan challenge when you heard about our vegan challenge? I thought it was a really cool idea. I mean, I think everybody should do this. Um, we are so unconscious about the way we eat yes. that when you pick a, a diet, a radical experiment, as you described it, um, you, it forces you to think about how much animal material is in your diet. Yes. It's, it's, it's very it hard to It forces you to go conscious and step out of denial Which is about really, where your food is coming from. I mean, like that person who said, I never think about the cow. Yeah. We need to think about the cow. Yes. We need to think about the pig and the chicken and, and all this. And so I, I think become anything that helps us become more conscious eaters is the first step. Now, eating meat is such a hot button. Why do you think it is in this country? We're big meat eaters in this country. We always have been. And uh, so to say that you shouldn't eat meat is a moral challenge. Mm -hmm. It's an ethical challenge. And it's a challenge to your tradition. You know, it's an, it, it's an insult to your mother. So uh, believe me, I'm not saying that. You know, I've had my dealings with meat. I know you have. Okay. I know. And all this week, I've been very conscious of letting everybody make the choices that they want to make. This is about thinking more about where your food comes from and being more conscious about it. Yeah, we're not going to get right with our food. And that has to do with our health, that has to do with the environment, until we think about what's going on. Yep, 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 we've got to dream up cool terms for ourselves, such as conscientious omnivore and new ways to boast. I only eat humanely processed, small-scale farmed, locally sourced flesh. It's, it's all opaque. You know, you go to the grocery store and the meat doesn't even have bones anymore. It's just shrink-wrapped protoplasm. And, and, you know, kids don't even know that that comes from an animal. And that animal had to be killed in order to put it on your plate. Not this one again. Okay, well, I can't talk about the flesh served in America, but in New Zealand, there are bones involved. And even the softest tofu in the packet knows the flesh was attached to bones at one time. I find it hard to believe anyone would not know that flesh, or meat, is the muscle tissue of animals. We may not be encouraged to think about it, we may not want to think about it, we all want to see the emperor's clothes too. But surely, we generally know enough that we don't want to know any more. My friends will like to pat my chicken friends, and then invite me over to their house, where they'll show off what they're having for their next meal, a shrink-wrapped packet with the pink slimy-looking body parts from six or more chickens, no less lovely than those I see alive each and every day. 
So you still eat meat, though? I do. You I do. do. I eat meat. I'm very picky about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't eat feedlot meat. I don't eat what I call industrial meat. Uh, but I like meat, and I eat it a couple times a week. What an elitist. And even more terms now. Industrial meat. What the heck is that? Just like factory farming. It's meaningless. Mr. Pollen, if you're against industry, but are you not pimping out free-range and small-scale flesh in the rest of this episode? Do you expect each consumer to kill other animals themselves, a cottage industry? Oh wait, that's still an industry. However we kill them, however we treat them, we're still talking about treating other animals, other sentient beings as things, as an ingredient that we kill, because we always have, or because we believe we like eating them? So, there are many good reasons to reduce our consumption of meat, especially. But eliminate it? You know, that's a personal choice. Um, I, I went through the same exercise about meat. Did, could I d- justify eating meat or not? I came out in a different place than Kathy did. I came out thinking I could eat meat in this very limited way, mm-hmm. from farmers who were growing it in a way that I could feel good about how the animals lived. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we have a great many farmers like this now. We have a renaissance of, of small-scale animal farming. Um, and that we're not feeding them grain and taking that grain away from people who, who need that food. Yeah. Ah, so you looked into the issue of killing 56 billion land animals each year and then found a way to continue on the same path, did you? And guess what? It's all about welfare. A bunch of large groups funded by donations invent fancy new terms. Mr. Pollen sells books about them, and the same number, perhaps more, animals are killed. But now the slimy, boneless gunk that the children's can't identify, it gets a get-out-of-guilt-free sticker on it, right next to free-range and cage-free. I had this conversation with Kathy, too. Kathy's coming up. Kathy is the veganist. She is the nation's veganist, I say. And I had a conversation with Kathy uh, about if the chickens, you know the chickens, the chickens are treated so well... They're living right across the fence from me. Music is played. (laughs) And every morning they lay their eggs to music. Is it okay to have that egg? It's okay to have that egg, absolutely, because it's a natural cycle for the chicken. But what I would say to you, Oprah, is that not everybody has that kind of access to those kind of eggs or, you know, uh, humanely raised meat from small farms. It's more expensive and it's harder to find. So... So most Americans don't have that option. It's I a agree. Bit harder. Most Americans don't. I do. I know. <laughs> you see, children, one time a long time ago in 2011, there was this accident, and that's how Uncle Jordan lost all the fingers on his left hand, due to an industrial accident. How in the heck can the veganist possibly say it's okay to eat that egg, and not only that, she was asked about eggs taken from female chickens. Hens, who knows where the male chickens go, the happy meat promoters would have you believe, heaven. She then goes on to mention a morally acceptable way, to her, to eat flesh or meat. This is unreal. The world's leading expert on veganism, apparently, appearing on Oprah, being beamed into the brains of a few million people around the world, quote, It's okay to have that egg, absolutely, because it's a natural menstrual cycle for the chicken. But what would I say to you, insert name here, is that not everyone has the kind of access to those kind of eggs, the ones with the singing hens, or, you know, back to a direct quote, humanely raised meat from small farms, end quote. 
And Oprah mentioned she has access to the singing hen egg company, with a picture of a smiling vegan giving the thumbs up on each egg, and water-based all-natural dye, of course, and the crowd laughs. Several times this happens. Oprah is presumably genuine about hearing of veganism, and the veganist actually moves her, and the millions of people listening, or watching I suppose, for those people who have those television things, away from veganism, to some kind of magical happy animal byproducts, into the realm of the vegan-ish. And the audience ends up laughing at the little jokes, of singing hens, of how Oprah has enough money to buy the good kind of egg. There's nothing funny about this. An egg is rather disgusting. I don't really like even touching them when I break them for my chicken friends. I mean, this thing has formed inside each hen's organs, her guts, slimy pink things, and it comes out of her vent. It comes out of her bottom. Even if you could eat some kind of C-section removed egg, where each of these singing hens has a zipper lovingly added to her body, would you want to? Seriously, the veganist goes out and describes happy eggs and how to raise happy meat. Quote, you mainly raise from small farms. Unreal. As insane as the web address vegan.com promoting this kind of nonsense. Here we find out a candid reaction to veganism from a staff member's family. We are going to take a one week vegan challenge. What? Okay, first, what do you think? Uh... <laughs> nice. I kind of like, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've never done that before, but uh, okay. it's not really something that I would have thought to do. What do you think about going vegan? What does vegan mean? Okay, good question. So vegan means you diet. eat... Diet! It it's part of your diet, but it means you eat nothing that comes from animals. You have no milk, no eggs, no cheese, no dairy, and no meat. So like for you, you eat five egg whites every morning. Right. No more eggs. Right, that's why I'm thinking this may not work. I like meat. I don't know what my mom's gonna feed us. Probably apples every day. Vegans for seven days. <laughs> All right, we'll try it. Yes, children, 1.95 meter tall people live on apples alone. Isn't it interesting that young children have already been brought up to think not eating ingredients taken from other animals would be weird or even disgusting? What's disgusting about beans compared to brains of broccoli compared to uh, esophageal-y? It's my only thing. Okay. Lots of gas. <laughs> what did you eat? <laughs> I know, all the junk in the bag. I had two bowls of cereal, um, popcorn, two of the vegan cookies, the nuts, um, the dates, and the burger. Okay. And, so, and I wasn't hungry, but you know. Yeah, yeah. So you, okay, it takes time for your body to get used to fiber. So now you're eating a lot more fiber and that, that's just going through your body. It's just okay. going to adjust. Okay. So in the meantime. So he's going through an adjustment period yes. that we all have to. So are you. To. No, I'm not. The whole building is. He's <laughs> <laughs> don't light a match on Harpo. <laughs> that's what I said this week. Oh my gosh. Lots of reports about, uh, gas. I'm sure you've always wanted to know, but I've never been a person to often pass gas. And I really, if ever, burp. I don't believe this has anything to do with being vegan. The people I know who most often, and I mean every meal, are rude at the dinner table, were hunters, non-vegan. They would openly, uh, pass gas and burp, shall we say. Be rude. Perhaps it is a matter of adjustment. It's certainly immature to go on about it, as we'll notice later. 
So according to the USDA, we eat nearly, listen to this, 10 billion animals a year, including 33 million cows. If you eat hamburgers, there's a good chance that they come from the Cargill company. They are the biggest producer of ground beef in the world. They allowed our cameras inside one of their processing plants for a look at how the meat you're eating gets to your table. Before we see this, Michael, you say it's important that we watch this and that we be thoughtful meat eaters. I think it's great you're doing this, and, and, I, and hats off to Cargill for letting you guys in. Uh, hats off to you. The, it's very rare that you get a glimpse of the... You were turned down by 20 other people, may I say? <laughs> yes. Well, and I was too. When I was doing... I did this kind of research for my book, and it's very hard to get access to the kitchen where our food is being prepared. I think you shouldn't eat anywhere you can't... They won't let you see in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. The fact that Cargill's letting you in, I think, is a very, very good thing. And it's also part of this... I, I, frankly, I don't think you should eat meat if you're not willing to look at how it's produced. Right. So we sent uh, reporter Lisa Ling to show us how our meat is made. A warning to viewers, especially parents with children, this is graphic because it's a slaughterhouse. There we go. This is Timmerman Feedlot in LaSalle, Colorado. There are about 12,000 cattle here for one purpose only. So the purpose of these cattle that we're looking at now is to get fattened up so that they can go into the food supply. That is the sole purpose, yes. How fat will they be when they leave here? These are heifers, uh, so they'll be about 1,200 pounds when they leave. Okay, and how long will they stay here? 200 days. We'll put about three pounds or a little over three pounds on these cattle a day. How do you do that? Uh, just with a high concentrate diet of a lot of protein, um, energy, and mostly that comes from corn and corn byproduct. I'll stop it here. How do these massive beings put on weight? Through protein, gained from eating corn. I've heard of other things given to quote, livestock in America, of their own waste fed to them, rich in protein. The stuff seems to be everywhere. I can't imagine anyone in New Zealand saying, but where do you get your protein? I think it must be some kind of linking of protein equals flesh in the US, a marketing campaign. Like I guess we might get challenged on where our calcium is obtained from. But nevertheless, tell them that we, like other animals, can gain our protein from vegan sources as well as non-vegan sources. Our bodies may well be very different to a cow's in terms of digestion, but I have no problem with getting protein. It's interesting, they, they just look straight at us. Yeah, they're very curious animals. Yes they are. You'd almost think they had a mind of their own too, right? But don't let those bleeding heart communist animal rights people corrupt your mind. We're going to mention how these sentient beings are curious, and then have them killed in a few days. Dan shows me the cattle that will be sent to slaughter tomorrow. Obviously, we're in the midst of a blizzard, but these are the cattle that are going over to Cargill tomorrow. So this is their last day at the feedlot. And uh, in a couple days, there'll be steaks. Yeah, they will be. So we've been given very rare access into the biggest producer of ground beef on earth and uh, I've always been pretty unabashed about the fact that I eat meat but I've never known how meat actually gets from animal to the plate. Um, so this is my stuff here? Yep. Okay. 
I'm gonna just follow you. That's perfect. Just watch your step. Okay. So how many cattle are brought in every day? We bring in um, 4,500 head a day, um, typically, and uh, they come in about uh, 140 different uh, truckloads of cattle. Upon arrival, they're held in these pens for two hours, which calms them down before they are sent to slaughter. So these cattle are about to go in and have the bolts driven through their head, mm -hmm. and then right, the rest so, of the process will begin. And you notice that they're not vocalizing. You don't hear a lot of mooing here. They're not bellowing. Um, we want to walk them slowly up through the serpentine into the plant. The cattle walk through these dark, winding corridors, again designed to keep them calm. So these cattle are walking to their death now? They are. There are undoubtedly animal activists who believe defiantly that this is cruel. How do you respond to that? I would not ridicule people who believe that you shouldn't eat animals, um, but I would say that we are committed to doing it right. Um, and that I believe that when animals, animals are handled with dignity and harvested carefully, that, that that's the natural order of things. There is no dignity or natural order involved. We may choose to believe that, like we choose to believe in many patently unreal ideas. It doesn't make something true though. We are not ordered to kill other animals, naturally or not. It's as easy to be vegan as not. I might sound critical of the slaughterhouse workers. I definitely feel very strongly against what they do to others, but I don't hate them. It's a waste of time believing them to be the spawn of Satan, the product of an unholy alliance between Hitler and Palin. They've grown up this way. They apparently believe in what they believe in. And by being aggressive to them, I don't think we can make them see our point of view. Calling them animal-exploiting, censored, beeping, blinking holes gets us nowhere. It doesn't help anyone. There is no nice way to deny another's rights. Another sentience being's emotions and feelings, desire to live. To take away their life for our own enjoyment. There was one part of the process we were not allowed to film, and that was the actual killing of the cattle. But I watched as a four-inch bolt was shot into each cow's head. What I just saw, which we can't shoot on camera, is the cattle come up on a conveyor belt and it's, their heads pop out and a guy called the knocker shoots a bolt into its head and renders it completely lifeless. It is upsetting, but surely this is the natural order and we should all be doing this, right? We should have young children out there shooting things through its head, right? Non-human animals are not an it. They are not a thing. They are no different than you or I. I have no doubts that my chicken friends enjoy their lives just as much as I do mine. Many animals can see better than we can, some even in the dark. Others can jump higher, hear quieter sounds, or even fly. We may physically be very different, we may look different, or be bigger or smaller, but why would we believe their right to life was drastically below our own? The cattle are rendered insensible to pain. That's one of the requirements. So then the cattle are stuck, we call it, and that's when the blood comes out. And that's how they die. They die from the bloodletting. So that death process takes them a minute or two, um, but they don't feel any sensation at all. Rendered insensible to pain. Stuck. Bloodletting. A death process. 
and they don't feel any sensation at all. What absolute politically correct nonsense. They can't feel pain anymore? That's because we've knocked them out. They are stuck, or as we may say, we've cut their throats. They are not bloodletting as part of a death process. They are bleeding to death. No different than if another human were to do this to us. We wouldn't let someone off for killing another person because they use some welfare-approved, humanely slaughtered jargon, would we? Their bodies are immediately washed to help prevent the spread of diseases like E. coli. This is where it's going to be a little harder on your eyes. So in here is where they remove the skin from the carcass. Um, and a lot of people do find that difficult to look at, okay? So let me know if you want to do that. Oh my god. Within minutes, they begin to remove the hooves, hide, and head. What is that? That's the stomach. We gotta get this. He's operating the lift and the saw at the same time. The carcass is moved to a giant cooler for up to two days. It's then inspected and graded. These carcasses were live animals on a feedlot, and now I'm looking at ribeyes. I mean, it just smells like raw meat and lots of it. And it's so precision. Everything is like clockwork. It's really quite impressive. So, what are all these carcasses used for other than steak? We save every piece of the animal that we can, so you make beneficial use of all of the resources. You know, when you look at these, you have to have respect for the living creature that they were, and that means making use of everything, letting nothing go to waste. The living creature they were, and making use of everything, letting nothing go to waste. What an awful thing to say. How about we respect the living creatures that they are? Do victims of murder really care if we use their skin to make lampshades after their deaths? Oh well, you used every part of me, so I guess my family can't complain. The process is efficient, because it would be silly for it to be wasteful. This is a business. Billions, maybe kajillions of New Zealand pesos are at stake here. See what I did? Stake? Money doesn't grow on trees, even a nuclear-free New Zealand. That place where they shot those three movies about magical creatures. Money is made by selling little plastic packets of slimy muscle. It's made by killing 56 billion land animals each year. So how many carcasses go into beef patties? We don't segregate them by carcass. So whatever carcasses come through the fabrication floor at the same time, then the trim from those carcasses goes into a shared combo, and then that's what's ground up to make the hammer. So that's the grind. Yeah. The meat is packaged and loaded on trucks. So the trucks come to these loading docks and they're loaded up with uh, beef products and they will soon end up in restaurants and stores near you. So that is where our meat comes from. Uh, Lisa Ling says she's still eating meat after seeing that, but it has given her a new appreciation of where it comes from. Uh, Nicole Johnson Hoffman is the general manager of Cargill's Fort Morgan Processing Plant. 
Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks for letting us in to see that. You know, it was a pleasure for us to have Lisa there. Um, we have uh, we take a lot of pride in the work that we do in that facility, and we think that Americans are much more interested today in learning about where their food comes from, learning about how meat is produced in particular. And for us, it's, it's a positive thing to be able to show exactly what happens, to demystify the process a little bit, and to show how much our employees really do care about the consumer. Um, mm -hmm. Our employees remember every day that that the meat that they produce is going on uh, tables around the world. Some of us apparently care how meat is made. We like being told we're doing the right thing by doing what we've grown up doing. Just looking for that golden ticket, that magic label. A temple grand and designed. Man, slaughterhouse killed me. Dig in, kids. We sure don't care about the animals being killed, though. It seems there's no money in friendship. Unless you have lots of rich friends who leave you everything in their will and you keep leaving banana skins at the top of the stairs. So Lisa was saying, describing that the cows are first hit in the head. Is it like an electrical shock? No, the bolt renders them completely insensible to pain. They're essentially brain dead at that point. Mm -hmm. So they have no sensation, no consciousness whatsoever. And that's a critical element to respecting that animal's dignity. Mm -hmm. The employee who's actually using that stunning machine is working. He's behind their shoulders. They don't see him before it happens. Mm -hmm. It's um, critical not to spook them. They're, yeah. They are um, kept quiet on purpose. It's, it's, um, it gives them a peaceful end of life, and it also it's important for the quality of the product that we produce. Yeah. And I think that that's very important for people to understand. We never forget these are living creatures. They are due a dignified life. They are due a dignified death. Um, that that's really important to us, and anybody who doesn't share that value cannot work at our facility. Where's my script, my talking points for the show? No. They are rendered insensible to pain. They do not suffer. They like the death process. It goes to heaven with a smile on its designated facial area. They love having their central nerve cluster bashed in by an employee on minimum wage. We don't hire psychos to kill animals here at Slaughterhouse X. This kind of talk, of stress, of dark, of stunning and blows to the head, of throat slitting, really made me think of The Silence of the Lambs. These movies, these audiobooks, really made me think about what we did to other animals. Silence of the Lambs has Buffalo Bill enjoy imagining his victim's point of view, how he would trick them by appearing injured, wearing a fake cast as if he had a broken arm, of trapping young women in his van by asking for help moving a couch. He would kill them once they had lost enough weight to make their skin come off easier, and use cow brains to preserve their skin, their leather. He talked about keeping their hair too, their scalps to wear as a wig, sort of like fur, I guess. He wanted to be a woman, kind of, so he killed women to wear their body parts. We often kill large and strong animals to try and possess their attributes too. Neither worked out well, either in a fictional book about a psycho killer, or the real-life ending of billions of animals each year. Buffalo Bill also struck in the dark. He wore night-vision goggles and enjoyed the feeling of invincibility, of being able to see his victim clearly when they wouldn't struggle, so they wouldn't damage their flesh, their skin, their byproduct. He also referred to them as an it. He denied their rights. This was mentioned during the plot, when one of the victim's mothers appeared on television, using her name, Catherine, 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 whenever possible, hoping that the killer would find it harder to kill her if he would recognize her as another sentient being. 
The Silence of the Lambs has many quotes relevant to veganism, of treating others as things, seeing them as ingredients, that their vital organs are for our enjoyment, that we can kill those we feel are weaker to ourselves, and of how awful it is, well, when lambs scream. That's where the name of the book and movie came from, of the main character being upset by lambs about to be killed as a girl, that she still wakes up and has nightmares about the screaming lambs. Of her father's own death, and how she wants to help other victims. It rubs the lotion on its skin, it does this whenever it's told. It rubs the lotion on its skin, or else it gets the hose again. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Wow, Clarice. Have the lambs stopped screaming? No, they haven't, Dr. Lecter. We still kill billions of them each year. It's interesting because we were saying that, uh, you were saying before, that if you're not willing to see where it comes from, you're not willing to think about where it comes from, then... Then you shouldn't eat it. I mean, really. I mean, it was interesting watching the faces of your audience. It's, it's, it is, it's very disturbing to see. And, and you should know this is one of the better plants in this mm -hmm. country. Um, cleaner than a lot of ones that, that I've seen. And uh, so it's, it, this is as good as it gets in America. Go back to France, you whiny liberal. This, this way of slaughtering animals is relatively new. This is, looked like a Temple Grandin system. Yeah, our, our system was designed by Temple. Than, than uh, previous ones. And by the way, the vegans deserve some credit for that. Woo! Go Temple Grandin, a visionary in the field of animal rights, at least according to Peter. Why would vegans deserve a shout-out when it comes to killing animals? As someone who loves all animals, except for spiders and the mice who invade your room in the middle of the night, as a vegan I'd be rather upset if someone told me I made them decide to kill more animals to enjoy killing them more. It was the animal rights activists like PETA that put the pressure on McDonald's that in turn put the pressure on many of the meat packers to clean up their act on how they slaughter animals. I think that's an excellent example of how working together, everybody who's interested in the American food system can create better results. Animal rights activists like PETA, yep, sure as heck aren't animal rights activists like me, people who have chicken friends who they love and who love them in return who sit on their lap to be patted, and who like eating bread from their hands. We respect that these other animals deserve to live, that they are not our property, they are our friends. So-called animal rights activists who work together are not opposing the deaths of these animals, they are giving in to the slaughterhouses. Are less animals killed? Are they working to have no animals killed? No, they give those who would kill our friends a big tick, welfare approved, and claim a victory, while the slaughterhouse keeps killing, and money is made all around. The animals, the victims of the system, would not call this anything near a victory, and we are doing this not for ourselves, but for other animals, our friends. I'm sorry if I sound like a very angry, pushy, or aggressive vegan. Fighting and arguing with people generally gets us nowhere. It's like a car bogged down in mud with the wheels spinning. Maybe there's a lot of mud being thrown about, but no progress is being made. If anything, we sink down deeper into depression, further into the mud. This is something I feel very passionate about, of other animals being killed for tradition, for fun, for profit, when they deserve to be respected, to live their lives just as you or I do. 
I know what will make me feel better though. A song and dance. This is a variety and nobody can complain about this. Okay, so one other quick thing. We were thinking that because we started this with the staff that from now on Rose should have a vegan option every day. Are you on board mm-hmm. with that? She should. Okay, and then we might do, we were thinking about maybe doing Meatless Mondays. In a cafe. Since we it's sort of, it's a movement. Do, we should definitely do Meatless Mondays. Okay. Yeah. Although people who want to eat meat certainly have the freedom to do that. Oh, God. Meatless Mondays! Meatless <laughs> And let's try not to get sued for it. <laughs> so we're on a Meatless Mondays. You can do that in your house, too, if you choose. Oprah was sued in the past for discussing what actually makes meat. It's a natural process, you know. We're at the top of the food chain. But heaven forbid you mention it on mainstream television with a man formerly in the business himself, Howard Lyman. I'll link to the articles about the incident in my show notes. Meatless Mondays. Hurrah! Another fancy buzz term. Why not a vegan Wednesday? Why not join the Invercargill Vegan Society, where we have Animals Are Our Friends Day for the rest of our lives? Hmm, probably because those two-bit operations don't have a cool song that's burning up the top 40 charts. Here's Jordan Wyatt from Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Of course I can't mention Paul McCartney promoting Meat-Free Monday without playing a song he's written. I'm sure it'll feature on his next Greatest Hits album. Here we go! Hey, everybody, Meat-Free Monday! I sure can, Paul. I'd be promoting veganism. Exactly, Jordan. Thank you. No sweat. Don't mention it, mysterious, unintroduced voice at the start and end of that clip. Time for the definition of veganism from the veganist herself. See, I love the title of your book, uh, Veganist, Lose Weight, Get Healthy, Change the World. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were thinking that as a process that they're thinking about the animals. Mm-hmm. They're also thinking about getting healthier. Everybody's pooping more. I know. <laughs> so. During the whole 40 minute episode, the idea that animals are deserving of our actual respect, that we see them as sentient beings, as others who are different but the same, as our friends, this just wasn't covered on the episode at all. Indeed, it was all about how much weight could be lost, or how you might start farting more. Oh, but that's just getting used to eating fibre, you know, because the standard American diet these days is so... And now you're healthier and organically balanced and your cholesterol levels are... And your skin is cleared up and now the hot girls at school wear bat their eyelashes at you. This was not a show about animal rights. It had a lot of mention of animal welfare, with the veganist herself actually discussing how to use non-human animals as things, of singing hens, of small-scale, quote, humanely raised flesh. What we're going to be doing at Harpo is Meatless Mondays. So 
that people can have choices. But I think just leaning into it, as you say, yeah. to do one day a week. One day a week. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you. You agree with that, Michael? I, I agree. I think Meatless Monday is a terrific idea. And, and the great thing about this challenge is people discover, oh, I can have a perfectly satisfying meal yes. without meat. There are many right. Americans who don't think that's possible. Yeah. And we all need to learn that it is. Um, one, of the, one of the concerns I have with going all the way vegan is, first, these great farmers we have in this country who are doing really good work, and they need to be supported, and we need to, we need to reform the meat system, not eliminate it. But um, I, I also worry about if you, if you get off meat entirely that you end up on a lot of processed foods. Absolutely and, not. And one of the things I liked about yeah. your book is you really warn against that. But, yeah. I mean, the, the, the reason people might actually gain weight on such a diet is they're going over to refined carbohydrates. Yes, because you're eating a bowl soda, of chips soda, like soda I did. No. You can be a junk food vegan. Yeah. You can live on yeah. chips and cookies yes. and tater and tots. And your health problems, too. That's an interesting way to torpedo veganism in a debate, to bring up some supposed way in which vegans may not be impossibly healthy, but, in fact, <gasps> eat junk food. If I was talking about why you should be vegan, I wouldn't be assuming non-vegans live solely on junk food, on unhealthy food. Why would I? I'd be talking about how other animals deserve our respect. To even suggest that vegans may not be all healthy or magical, that they may indeed eat junk food. Oh, and have you ever seen that one vegan guy who was short too? Yeah, that's because he must have been like five meters tall before he went vegan, and then he changed and went all radical and extreme and trunk overnight, because vegans are so unhealthy. Pass me that free-range, organomagically killed flesh. I'm sure there is many kinds of vegan junk food out there. This magical place, uh, pardon my pronunciation, Hull Foods? It seems to have aisle after aisle of fake animal products, probably right next to the five-star approved Happy Meat. And here we get another example of the veganist downselling the interested customer. Your husband, though, I know Kathy's husband, Tom Freston, very well. He's one of my partners at OWN, and he is veganish. Veganish, yeah. Veganish. Exactly. So he, at our home, I have a vegan home, so nothing in the kitchen is from an animal. But when he goes out to dinner, he'll have fish or he'll have, you know, eggs or cheese or whatever. But I don't bother him because it's not my business to tell anyone how to eat. Mm -hmm. he, he lets me be me and I let him be him, you know, uh -huh. and he leans toward vegan because he's seen too much yeah. of the research and there's so much, you know, uh, really good information about animal protein and, you know, obesity and diabetes and things like that because of all the saturated fat. And so there's enough information that persuades him to want to be vegan-ish mm -hmm. anyway, mm -hmm. but he does it as a, at his own pace, which I did it too well, at maybe, my own pace. Maybe that's what I'm going to be, vegan-ish. Yeah, you know, it's a personal choice, and but he's seen all the surveys about obesity, and so he's this new buzz term, veganish. Who am I to tell people what to do? I only make money selling books to people doing just that. I realize we as vegans cannot order people what to do, naturally or not. I really don't think we should mention a new term, though, or diet, or whatever the heck it's meant to be. Veganish is some kind of accomplishment. Let's just promote veganism as an ethical baseline, you know, the starting point. It's not some kind of end goal. And Oprah jumps in. Maybe I'll just be veganish. How do we think the veganist handles that? Yeah, that's great. The, the, other, the other term is... Yeah. 
Because I'm not ready to commit to the I, whole thing. I understand. I'm not ready to commit to the whole thing. But this morning, Stedman said, no, he wanted to continue. And I go, well, go right ahead. Would you stop? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So great, in fact, that her voice broke. I don't want to be criticizing anyone, although that's why I have a podcast where I seem to do just that. I'm sure the veganist did a better job on Oprah than I would have, but come on. I mean, seriously. I understand it might be unlikely that people go vegan once I snap my fingers. It's worth a try, though. Did it work? Did the world go vegan? Oh, well. I sure wouldn't go describing singing hens and small scale you mainly raised flesh as being a great, ethical choice, though. And to give huge praise to those incredibly well-known people who decide to be vegan-ish while the audience clap and cheer and the millions watching are also introduced to this new travesty of a self-identifying buzz term. And when we find someone who does seem to enjoy veganism, understanding it as a diet... Uh, but Joe Terry, our director back there... Yeah, hi. I, I, Joe hit me with this news on the way out. Joe said that he's, he's now converted. Wow. Yes, wow. leaning Joe, into it. Really? Big time. Really? <laughs> what, 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 what does that mean, Joe? Uh, this really agrees with me. Uh, uh, it's, uh, what do you mean, lot. agrees with you? Agrees with me in terms of energy, in terms oh, really? of the way that I feel. I don't have a food hangover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have more energy. Um, right How have your now. bowel movements been, Joe? Great. Great. <laughs> Honest to goodness, great. It's true. Because... Let's go there. Great. <laughs> That's not even the best clip about uh, going to the toilet. I was really happy for Joe. Good for him. It's nice to know that someone is feeling better from eating a diet described as vegan. Let's hope that Joe finds out about veganism, though, of respecting other animals by adding friend after their common name. What's going on? No, I mean, it's she's I'm, hiding behind me. That's what's going on. <laughs> she's so scared, she's hiding. I just don't... Okay, the meatless meat burger yesterday was difficult. Uh-huh. So of course people lose weight because who wants to eat this? <laughs> no, I threw away half my I'm like starving. Do you care about where the meat comes from? Honestly, I buy free range, so I feel like that sort of gives me an exempt an exemption. See? I personally believe tofu patties make the best burgers I've ever had, along with falafel, tomato, red onion and lettuce. Very simple and delicious. But that really is a personal taste, I guess. Notice more of how free range grants you an exemption. Where did that come from? From animal rights activists promoting welfare, that it's good to kill these animals as long as we say thank you as they bleed to death. Whoops, uh, I mean as they proceed through the death process having been stuck during initialization of the processing stage. Well, it turns out maybe this addict wasn't telling the truth after all. Maybe she wasn't an ethical person buying free range after all. Be honest. Okay, I eat a lot of fast food, so... (laughs) Just understand something, Veronica, seriously. Fast food is addictive. Nothing right now is going to taste good to you if you're used to fast food. You're addicted. Oh, I know. you got to go easy on yourself and just say, I am going through something here. 
and I am not happy. I'm angry. I am angry. Yeah, because someone's threatening your addiction. Ugh. It's like if I were speaking to an alcoholic and I'd talk to them about taking away their alcohol, they'd want to punch me in the face. I sort of want to punch you in the face. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get but that. You're too pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Fast food is not the devil. I've eaten and enjoyed Subway before. I make sure it's vegan though. I've checked beforehand and also asked the sandwich artist, I believe that's what they call themselves in America, land of the buzzword, is this vegan? If other people on the line here, great. That's one more time they've been exposed to the term. Perhaps it'll be infectious. So sources tell me, sources tell me, you know how everybody's talking about their poop, but that you used to be a once a weeker and now... It is a daily, I know, my mother, I'm so sorry I'm talking about this. It's a daily occurrence now, and um, yeah, once a week, and actually prior to this challenge, I had an eight-day episode, so it was, thank you. Congratulations. (laughs) We'll be right back, we'll be right back. Congratulations on being able to go to the toilet again. Seriously, is this normal? For non-vegans to go to the toilet once a week? Perhaps once in eight days? One week, 378 Harpo employees, and uh, myself included, the vegan challenge. How did we do? Take a look, take a look. I did not cheat. I did not cheat. I cooked for my family. They had amazing dishes. There were some short ribs I made that would have maybe a slap your mama. I did not eat them. I lost like three and a half pounds on the vegan challenge, can't you tell? My boobs are smaller. I went from like a C cup to a B and a half. Yes, it was all a diet. It was about denying yourself what you wanted as a challenge to lose weight so you'd be able to go to the toilet again. Veganism is useful for male breast reduction. Wow. Here are the group results. 444 pounds lost, 84 pounds gained, 78 quitters, and a record amount, as I said, of toilet paper used. Rich, you lost 11 pounds? Yeah, 11, as of this morning. In one week? Yeah. Why do you think you succeeded? By the third day, I felt better than I've felt in 10 years. Really? Yeah, I, I, I would take antacids like six to eight of them a day. Really? I would pop aspirin like candy, migraine headaches, the whole bit. And I, let, let's qualify it. I ate horribly. I ate poor foods, unhealthy. Now I don't, and I lost 11 pounds. And that's, you know, within one week, by the way, that's amazing. It's amazing. Within one week, your weight does stop, start to drop. And within right. two weeks, your blood sugar and your blood pressure are dropping. Within three weeks of eating a vegan diet, you are dropping your cholesterol significantly. It's a lot of bang for the buck. Yes, somehow another apparently unhealthy person was found, and this diet is credited with changing his life, and he lost a lot of weight, too. I feel great for Rich. Congratulations on being healthier. I don't think this can all be attributed to the wonders of a vegan challenge, though. Perhaps just thinking about what you ate helped. I've been vegan for a couple of years now, and I haven't lost 11 of these pounds, about 5 kilograms a week, let's say. I probably put on muscle, if anything. While I was vegetarian, not eating animal flesh, not drinking cow's milk, not wearing skin, but eating products that contained cow's breast milk, I'm not going to call myself veganish or, uh, what is it, vegan? I cycled 66 kilometers a day, about 40 miles, I think, for over a year, too. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I weighed a negative number from all that weight lost each week. 
I also wouldn't call myself veganish. I wasn't vegan. If I wanted to, I could cycle that far again, if I had the f- free time. But now I've got chicken friends and a podcast script to write, and that's more enjoyable. So veganism, which is a diet, you know, that makes you lose weight, was being built up into something magical. Time for a reality check. Um, I hate to, to cast any kind of shadow over this wonderful dietary revival meeting, but... Um... <laughs> then don't. <laughs> Let it be. But, there's, you know, there's nothing evil about meat. There really isn't, and some meat in your diet is, is really I totally fine. agree with you. There's nothing evil about meat. Some meat in your diet is really fine. To which the veganist answers, I totally agree with you. <sighs> well, I don't think flesh has to be evil. Moo! Ah, 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 ah! Or that tofu is made by little angels. I don't believe a knife that has been put fatally through someone's heart is evil. But I don't think that some meat in your diet is totally fine. We should not be killing other animals because we enjoy the taste of their bodies, their flesh. That's gross. And it's wrong to kill them. I'm just saying for me, and we didn't really talk about this, but for me, watching that video, um, it, it doesn't sit right mm-hmm. in my soul. You know, I'm on a path that I'm trying to live to my potential. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to evolve as a human being. I'm trying to incorporate my values like compassion and empathy and kindness and mercy. And so when I see that, I have to ask myself, can I look into the eyes of an animal and say that your suffering or your pain or your fear is not as important as my appetite? Yeah. Indeed, this was about the closest the episode got to talking about animal rights, about why we shouldn't kill animals, because we recognize them as our friends. Close, maybe, but not quite. That clip was 41 seconds long. The episode, without ads, was 41 minutes and 55 seconds long, at least the version I have. It wasn't really brought up, except at the end, talk about souls, of personal belief systems, of compassion. And it was easily swatted away, thanks to welfare promotion. But they don't make them suffer. They're not making them suffer. And that is, I think that is, that is legitimate. And what you're saying is legitimate for you, but Lisa Ling, right. who was right there yeah. and was a meat eater before she went to, to Cargill, is still a meat eater and, afterwards. And yes. here's one more thing, is that um, Temple Grandin, who designed that very uh, conscious slaughterhouse, doesn't design bird slaughterhouses. And over nine of the 10 billion animals that are killed in this country alone are chickens and turkeys. Right. So it's, it's different. Unbelievable. It's okay to kill them because they don't suffer. We've blown up their brains, we've bashed them over the head. That's humane. Would we feel that way if another person did that to someone we loved? If they did that to a complete stranger? That's why I don't agree with it. Because I recognize other animals, human and non-human, as someone. Temple Grandin may be good at designing, quote, conscious slaughterhouses. You know, the kinds where they make sure the animals are unconscious before they rip them apart. The good kind of, man, slaughterhouse. With Grandin putting the laughter in slaughterhouse. Producing happy meat. But she doesn't kill birds. And there's like a big, big number of birds killed. 
Presumably for the veganist, the solution is that we beg and plead until Temple Grandin figures out the good way to kill chickens, no different to the ones I love. But there are farms in this country, and more of them all the time, where animals lead very happy lives and have one bad day. And, and we need more of those, too. Happy lives, one bad day, huge laughs. This is not a funny subject. Of tens of billions of animals, of, 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 being killed for what? Our pleasure? Our profit? I wouldn't give a damn if the person who killed me had killed many people before me that day, or comparatively few people before me that day. Why would animals care how many employees are on the payroll? The whole system is really brutal, and um, we have to disconnect ourselves from it. But it's very important to reform that system, not just turn our backs on it. Hear that? You big device of vegans who promote veganism? You've turned your back on the animals suffering today. You ran away, you cowards. We've got to reform this awful practice, not get rid of it, silly. A lot of great information today. Nicole has something to say. I just wanted to say, what's important for us is to be here with you and to be talking with Michael and, and with Kathy about these issues because um, I think that together we'll come up with better solutions for the American food system. Yeah, we were saying as, uh, as uh, Nicole came up, this may be the first time the veganist and Cargill have been together. <laughs> I think And I good. said we love vegans too. Yeah. Okay. Great information today, everybody. If nothing else, we want you to be more conscious about where your food comes from. You have to decide what's right for you and for your family. As Kathy says, just a little lean in to better eating can make a major difference in all areas of your life. You would agree, right, Michael? Absolutely. Kathy's book, Veganist, is in stores now. Michael Pollan's Food Rules should be a staple in your home also. And he's got a new one coming out in November. And thank you, Cargill, again, for allowing us uh, to see something many of us have never seen before. We really appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Nicole, thank you so much. Bye, everybody. After pimping their books in their slaughterhouses, we hear how the manager of one, designed by animal rights visionary Temple Grandin, loves vegans. They're all about hugs and kisses, happy meat and high welfare. We love the people who are utterly disgusted with what we do. What an odd thing to say. I try not to hate those who kill animals or who are not vegan. Hate gets us nowhere. Violence is the problem, not the solution. I don't want to have an enemies list either. I want to have a smile on my face while I talk about veganism, with I'm vegan and I love you badges on my overalls, with a metal case filled with Invercargill Vegan Society business cards, and a few from Animal Rights and Rescue of North Texas, a group formed by Barbara DeGrand. I have one last clip from Barbara about her thoughts on the episode of Oprah. There was an instant during the recent Oprah show where the woman that was giving the slaughterhouse tour seemed to have kind of a microsecond of awareness of the personhood of the animals when they looked at her and she seemed quite uncomfortable. And then as she was talking about these living beings being turned into a product, she was smiling in a way that was rather uncomfortable. And to have them discuss in the show respect for animal life at the same time they're dismembering animals, allowing them to hang by their ankles and to think that this is um, anything but an absolute nightmare is rather horrendous. 
I would hope that someone on the Oprah show really should apologize for the use of the term veganism because veganism is not about eating a plant-based diet. It's not a fad. It's about respect for life. And there was nothing on this show that showed respect for animal life. I was always going to mention Barbara. No, not because she paid me off with agave nectar and genuine hot sauce from Texas, but because she has a nice voice to listen to. Oh, and she's a wonderful person too. I do enjoy having business cards from her to show that even on the other side of the world, there is at least one more vegan alive and active. It's not just some phony business card for a one-man vegan society led by a dictator for life. You can find Barbara at www.veganacious.com. If you'd like to send me any business cards, I'd be honored to show and give them out to people. It's great to show how veganism is worldwide, and it doesn't rely on the veganist telling people about how great singing hens are of humanely raised flesh. I guess I too was disappointed and shocked by this episode of Oprah on veganism. I really thought it would have some coverage of veganism as an ethical baseline of why vegans feel this way towards other animals. Instead, it really was 90-something percent about losing weight, of feeling better, of setting a world record for most gas passed, of toilet paper used. I hope we can all comment on coverage of this episode of Oprah. I've noticed more people visiting my website who have arrived from my comments elsewhere. The more we talk about actual veganism, which is not a diet, a way of losing weight, the more vegans there will be. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you thought it was a really great episode of Oprah and all daytime TV is really, really cool, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.